The following Bible study is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. For more studies and information, go to graceteaching.net. And now, here's our Bible study. that we would be uh, humbly, rightly related to him, that uh, we would be able to take advantage of his uh, work where he causes us to understand your word. For it is your word that matures us, it rounds us out, it prepares us to every good work that you have for us. And so, Father, again, we thank you for the salvation you have so graciously given to us, and we ask that as we look to your word, that we would understand it more and more. Amen. Just one second before you start. I'm going to go ahead and... Yeah, I'm going to take it off. I got something to fix. So um, let's turn to Col- the book of Colossians. We're looking at positional truth in the New Testament. Um, this is, you know, Tim was, or not Tim, but Jim was alluding to somebody at another place that if they were in this study, they'd be uh, kind of tired of hearing the same old thing. And uh, I guess that would be a fair statement that I am repeating these things over and over again. But that's kind of the point of the study. Because there's people that look at positional truth and they say, oh, it's not that big a deal. That's for seminarians. That's for pastors. But That was part of my point. I, I know. I know. And, and uh, so there's these people that say it's not practical. And it's hugely practical. And as we said, stated, Paul said he taught about his ways which were in Christ everywhere he went. And it's so important to the Christian life and living out the salvation that God has given us. It's kind of like, you know, you know you're saved, but you just don't know how to participate. You know, it's like having a fancy car, but not knowing where the key is. And that's what being saved is, but not knowing how to utilize positional truth. How do you interact with that? How do you, uh, how do you, how do you take that information and utilize it in your life? It's like, yeah, it's nice to say that once uh, Christ comes back, I'll be like him. But what's that do for me now? Yeah, it's nice to say that when I see Christ, I'll be righteous. But what's that do for me now? It's nice to say that my sins are forgiven, but I know I'm still a sinner. What's it do for me now? You know, positional truth is what answers that. Because it takes those things about the future and it makes them relevant to right now. Okay, It's like the key in the car. Yeah, the car can be really powerful, but if you don't turn the key, it just sits there at zero miles per hour. You know? If I'm racing you, I can beat you with a, with a uh, what's the, the, the junkiest car you can think of, you know? 
a 40-year-old, whatever I'm driving at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can have a Ford Mustang, a, a XR, blue, blue, whatever. I'm not a car guy, so yeah, I'm gonna show my true colors here. Yeah, I could have a fancy car. You could have a fancy car, but if you don't have the keys, I'll beat you every time with the junkiest car ever. But we have a salvation that is the best salvation of any human being. It's the best. All Christians at this time have the best salvation compared to believers at any other time. That is stated in the New Testament. We have the best promises based on the best salvation. But is it potential that we would just leave that car parked in front of the house and not use it? Yes, that's potential. That's potential. So, Understanding positional truth and how we interact with the salvation God gives us, how we get ourselves out of the way so the Spirit can empower us to do things, that's the key. That's the key. Right? Get ourselves out of the way and let God work through us. So we're in the book of Colossians and we're noticing clear statements of positional truth, but then we're looking at statements that are based on positional truth, or you can't practice without positional truth. So, so far in chapter 2, we're not going to go back to chapter 1 and look at all the elements there, but in chapter 2, we notice several th things. In verse 3, it says, In whom, talking about in Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So right there, it tells you, in Christ, and where is Christ today? He's at the right hand of the Father. It's stated many times in the New Testament. He rose on high and sat down at the right hand of God. He, there is a real person at the right hand of God. He's the only human being that's entered into the presence of God in the throne room. Christ is there in his humanity. The glorified, resurrected God-man is at the Father's right hand in the place of privilege in the place of honor, after having died for our sins. It signifies that that payment was satisfactory. Right? So in that one, in whom we are in, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, we, we stated this already when we looked at this. This isn't talking about you know, if you're in Christ, then you're going to know how to do math, right? Or you're going to know how to do engineering. Or you're going to know how to cook better, you know? Or you're going to know the best way to do this, that, the other. Does being a, being a Christian automatically make you the most smartest person on this earth? No, it doesn't. But this wisdom, wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. And this is talking about... Are we at 128? No, we're at 2, verse 3. This is the wisdom in regards to the Christian life. I would even point it to chapter 3 where it says, Our life is hid with Christ in God. Our identity is hid with Christ in God. And how are you going to... How are you going to live that out? you got to go live in Christ. you got to see yourself as what God says about you 
so that that life can come out and be seen. No longer be hid. No longer be hidden. Okay? You won't find this wisdom in the things of this world. You won't find it. You won't find, you won't learn it at school. They will teach you the philosophy of the world, right? The philosophy, the wisdom of this world. That's what philosophy is. It's wisdom. Right? The study of Sophia, philosophia. It's the fondness of wisdom. Okay? But it's man's wisdom. So in whom, in Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness, steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So this verse is, has a positional aspect to it. We're to walk in him. We're going to, but Josh, I'm down here on earth, and you just told me Christ is up there in heaven. How do I walk in him? Okay, you're talking about an impossibility. What is this scripture at? trying to hold me to a standard that's impossible? Is this like uh, uh, when somebody tells you something you don't want to hear, they'll say, when pigs fly, right? Anybody ever seen a pig fly? Well. Uh, no. One time I threw a piece of bacon from you. Okay. I saw an amazing thing the other day. I, we have it at the store. My meat guy told me, we've had this all summer long. Bacon, but it's not bacon, it's sausage. It's been pounded together and made into strips like, like bacon. That sounds pretty good. I'm going to have to try that. But I think it came out because bacon's been getting so expensive that they're trying to find a way to make some cheaper, a cheaper product. But anyway, we're to walk in him. This word walk is the idea of you. It's not talking about walking a certain way. You know, everybody knows there's distinctive walks. You know, the uh, I'm not going to get up and illustrate these. But, um, you know, some people walk and they're, they don't swing their arms, right? And some people walk and they get very, you know, somebody's speed walker and they shake those arms and you're like boy they look funny but maybe they're really burning some calories right <laughs> you know then you got the gang bangers and they walk and they kind of drag a foot or something and they, they look all cool right and uh, this isn't a talking day thing right oh yeah maybe an old person they shuffle their feet you know because they're worried they're going to fall or it's a, it's a symptom of dementia or whatever it is um other people, they walk like they're hurt and they're just trying to get your sympathy. Though You know, they're fine and then all of a sudden they see you and then they're like, you know, my knee, my knee. I don't know. And, uh, so there's all these different physical walks. There's these physical walks. Is this talking about a walk? Does somebody that's living in Christ walk a certain way? Do you talk a certain way? Do you comb your hair? No, that's not what this is talking about at all. This is a metaphorical. This is how you order the details of your life. 
Okay? It's how you order the details of your life. What this says is you don't define yourself based on who you are down here. You don't define yourself by that. Like I'll, I'll give you an example of defining myself by things down here. I am the son of Gary and Leslie Fanning. Is that a lie? No. no, that's very true. That's very true. I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be their child. I'm thankful for that. But if I was just to define myself as merely that, that would not be this. Right? I could define myself, I uh, was a student at Royal High School. And that could be how I define myself. Would that be a lie? No, I was. I Back in the day, I went to Royal City High School. I could define myself as I went to what's, what education I had. I went to this community college. And I did this online program through Gary. And I went to seminary. And that's who I am. And that would none of those things would be a lie. But it would not be this. When you order your details of your life according to who you are in Christ, that has to do with the fact that I am a saint. I am righteous. I am forgiven. All those things about who I am in Christ. I'm united to all New Testament believers. And then I order my life that is down here based on who I am in Christ. Okay. And it doesn't result in me like bouncing when I stab or, you know, it's not a physical walk. It's talking about how you live your life. Right. So as I go about being the child of Gary and Leslie Fanning, in the town of Royal City related to you folks, those are all things down here. I live out who I am in Christ in relationship to each one of you. And you're to do that towards me. Not based on, hey, it's Josh the grocery guy down there. It's Josh the businessman down there. Yeah, we interact on that level, but there's a there's a higher level than that. Right? As ye therefore have received Jesus, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Rooted and built up in him. What's the, the, uh, the idea of rooted is to be fixed in a location. Okay, isn't that what happens when a tree sets down roots? You're fixed. You're fixed. It has a thick. What does scripture say about the believer in this earth? Are we citizens of this earth? No. Are we people of this land? No. no. We are citizens of the heavens. But here it says we're to be rooted like a tree. In him. <laughs> right. And he's we, up there. So. And he's up there. So our root, our grounding, our grounding, our rooting is in the heavens. Now this goes back to the grace gospel, the grace uh, gospel back in Romans 16. Remember that? Where we are stabilized 
because of a, 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 an, an, an identity of Jesus Christ as the Lord. He has a new identity upon his resurrection and our relationship to him. That's what stabilizes us. Him resurrected and glorified and we're in him. And that's a good news. It's a grace gospel. And that's what stabilizes us. This goes well with Tim's message this morning about how legalism, we're not under the Mosaic law, and it's not any standard of our why we live or why we do things or don't do things. The reason we don't do things is because of the character, the new identity God has given us. We don't do those things because it's not who we are. Now, if you live according to who you are on this earth, you'd say, yeah, that is who I am. I'm a sinner. If you live according to who you are in Christ and order your life according to who you are in Christ, it's not who you are. But you don't do it because it's a thou shalt not. You do it because it's not who you are. It's not in keeping with what God has made you to be. And when you get your mind right, the Spirit can energize you to do the right thing. And if you're doing the right thing, you're not doing the wrong thing. Garbage in, garbage out. Good in, good out. Okay? So you walk in him, verse 6. You're rooted and built up. Built up in him. Established in the faith. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, this all ties together well with what we've already learned. What is thanksgiving a result of? Spirit filling. Spirit filling. That's Ephesians 5. It's a result out of being filled by the Spirit. And if you're living in Him, ordering the details of your life in Him, what's the result? Thanksgiving. You see how this ties together with Ephesians 5? Oh, yeah. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, according to the elements of the world, and not according to Christ. Why? For in him, or because in him is dwells, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, why is that whole statement kind of, why might it be a little confusing? God and body. God doesn't have a body. God doesn't have a body. Okay. God doesn't have God is a spirit. spirit. John 4. But also just it says entire fullness. And that kind of in line it says mm -hmm. entire fullness of God. So I don't know, that to me has always been it's, that's just an emphasis. So the idea of the word uh full it'd be like uh you'd be putting effort it's like uh, how how can can you make black blacker? Black is black, right? If something's true, how do you make it more true? You can't. Okay. This word when it, so they're just it's an interpretive uh, 
thing they're doing. I think it's a translation of pan for pass there. Right in front, right in front of it. All okay, all right. All the fullness. Okay, so they translated all as entire. Okay, so all the fullness, and that's that's the point. Is there is no lack of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the point. Having died for the sins of the world and having resurrected. Jesus Christ possessing all of God, his deity, it didn't hinder him one bit. He's not lacking any of his prerogative after having become a man and having died for the sins of the world. And now he's at the Father's right hand. He possesses all that God is in that bodily, in that location. Right? Now, why is this important? It's talking about Christ, not about us. But it's telling us about him because of what it's going to say about us in a second. And that's why we're emphasizing this. So the idea here, the word when it says the fullness, it's the idea of he lacks nothing. Okay? Um, Dan Dahlke used to, whenever you got to this word, he'd always do, a, he'd always sing you <clears throat> An advertisement. Does anybody know what that advertisement was? Something. Uh, last best part of waking up. Folgers in the And he would talk about how the coffee was brimful. It was up to the brim. No lack. Okay. <laughs> But he would get into those advertisements. He would. That, this is back before the time of the internet and all the entertainment we have today. And so, I mean, I guess advertisements were, were memorable because you had to watch them like you. You couldn't just zip, zip, zip through them. So these little co commercials would become iconic. Right? Jingles. Now, I don't think I've watched a commercial in the last year. I don't know. But anyway, brimful, lacking nothing. Does Jesus Christ lack any of deity? No. He's just as much God as the Father, as the Holy Spirit. Becoming a man did not hinder his deity one bit. He's still God. Right? He doesn't lack at all. So when we come to verse 10, and you are, and you are. Now, in mine, it says complete, which kind of confuses the matter because it's actually the exact same Greek word. You are having been filled. It's off the same word, but it's not the exact same, but it's, it's off this. It's the same Greek word, pleroma. And it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a uh, more emphatic form of it. Um, you are having been filled. You stand full. It happened in the past with the abiding result that you are full. Emphasizing the result. So we have no lack. 
And we, you are, having been fulfilled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. <clears throat> What's that a reference to when it says rule and authority? Spirit beings. Spirit beings, right? We're familiar with this usage in Scripture. It's referring to spirit beings. So think back. Uh, back to verse 16 of chapter 1. Yeah, back to verse 16 of chapter 1. Let's read that real quick. It says, For by him were all things created that are in the heavens and that are upon the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Okay. Now keep your finger here and jump over to Hebrews chapter 10. <coughs> we read... Hebrews chapter 10, and it's always, you know, it's always interesting me to put these different passages together and see this. Verse 15, wherefore, when he come, when he cometh, or entering into the world, he said, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body. Where are you at? Yeah, this... Verse 5. What did I say? 15. Did I say 15? I'm sorry. I just like to keep you confused. <laughs> I feel better about it. I was just going to say, you guys <laughs> trying to make Tim go Well, that's why I did it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I said 15 and met 5. So, I guess I'm getting old. <laughs> but a body thou hast prepared for me. So, who's talking there? Who's that talking? It's Christ. It's the second person of the Godhead just before he joins himself to that human nature that had been prepared in the womb of Mary. You see that? You have prepared as he left heaven and he was coming into the world of humanity. He said to somebody, who was he speaking to? The Father. Spirit. He says, A body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then I said, Lo, I come in a volume of the book it is written to do thy will, O God. The funny part is, this wasn't even the verse I wanted, but it's so related to that. <laughs> I think the verse I wanted is over in chapter 2. I wanted the one where it says, a little lower than the angels. Where is that? Is that chapter 2? Maybe it's 1. 2-7. Thank you, thank you. Man, this is pretty bad for here. I need the help. It's 1-7. 2 so let's read uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Now, one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedst him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. So he made him a little lower than the angels. But where is he now? 
He's at the Father's right hand. He's at the, he created all the spirit beings, and then he became a human being, which was a little lower than the angels, and then he rose on high above all the heavens and sat down until all his enemies are going to be made his footstool. That's what it says over and over and over. The reason I'm hitting this is because what we find in the book of Colossians is we have a group of believers that's being challenged in regard to spirit beings. And Paul is encouraging them that not only is Christ above all spirit beings, he created them and he holds them all in their different realms of authority, but becoming a human being and becoming less than the spirit beings on the creative scale he is still above them as God. And now as the glorified, resurrected man, he's above them. Okay. He is complete. He has no lack. And we as Christians don't need to be afraid either because we're in that one. We're in Christ. And we have no lack. We're in the one that is over all of them. Now, you can see this. If you look down, let's see here. Where do I want to take off here? In verse 16. Let's actually read verse 15. We'll come back and Colossians. catch up some of the other points. Colossians? Yeah, Colossians. I'm sorry. Colossians 2. You guys all, you mean what I said. <laughs> come back to Colossians 2. We're going to jump forward. We'll come back and hit those other positional things that are verses 10 through 13. But I want to come here to verse 15. And it says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, and having spoiled principalities and powers, <laughs> he made a show of them openly, triumph, triumphing over them in it. What's that talking about? What's that talking about? Was that when Jesus was on the cross and he was hanging there and uh, somehow he was like saying, neener, neener, ha, ha, I'm winning. You think you're winning, but I'm winning. Was that what was going on? No. no. He beat death. I think he was resurrected too and he descended. Descended, yeah. I think so I didn't even think of Ephesians 4. 4. Yeah, Ephesians yeah, 4. 4. It says he descended into the death and then we yeah. ascended on him. Yeah, that would relate to this. Let's look at a couple things. Um, turn over. Let's look in 1 Peter 3. Turn over to 1. Did I say 1 Peter 3? Yes. What's that? What are you thinking about today? I'm thinking about all this. What are you talking about? First uh, Peter three. Let's see here. Um, let's read verse eighteen. Now this passage is talking about suffering for good doing and um, just general suffering and how to go through it. And if Christ suffered, then should we expect that we don't suffer? No, Christ suffered, and we ought to expect that we'll suffer too. And so don't let it be a surprising thing 
if you go through some hard things in life, you're born to suffer as a Christian. So we come here to 1 Peter 3, 18. It says, For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and preached unto spirits in prison. What? What? What's this talking about? What's this talking about? Let's keep and it and it tells you when. Like, look what it says in verse twenty. Which at one time were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was up preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So this is back in the days of Noah. This has to do with these spirit beings that are now in prison, that when Christ died on the cross and he was, as it says here, he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit, and then he preached to spirits in prison. What, was he down here in Connell? Was there, were they down here in a prison? Were they in solitary confinement? What prison can you go to where you see spirits? Okay. Turn over to, go back to, let's see, go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2. And let's read. You get into 2 Peter 2, and what you have is you have these faults teachers and they teach and some people think oh nothing's going to happen right god just lets these things go and what peter says is no god doesn't let these things go he has intervened in history and judged things in time he's done it in the past and he will in the future so just because god's blinking at unrighteousness today don't think it's not going to be dealt with that's the point. That's the point of 2 Peter 2. So we read in verse 3, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if or since God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but guarded Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. So God judges. God judges. But in this passage, it tells you God spared not the angels that sinned, but he cast them down. Now, how long did God allow the angels to go on about? Like, how long did Noah, how long did it take him to build the ark? 120 years. It was a while. I don't have the exact years, but you go and read about it. In Genesis, what, 6 through 9 about? He was, pre he was building, it took him a long time to build the ark. And the whole time he's saying, 
Judgment's coming. Judging. How many people in it? How many buddy? How many converts did Noah have to this message? None. His family was it. They came in and they were safe in the ark. That was it. Everyone else died. The majority is always right, right? Is the majority always right? Sometimes you're the minority. Most often you're the minority. Right? Don't be afraid to be the only one. Don't be afraid to be the only one. A good example of that is Noah. He didn't do what the rest of society was doing. It tells you over in Genesis 6 that all flesh, all flesh, I can't remember the exact one, was perverse in their ways or uh, something like that. Read it on your own. What was going on? It says over there that the sons of God came and took of the daughters of men. What are the sons of God? It tells you that they're angels. Spirit beings came and did something they're not supposed to do, which is it. Cohabitate. The angels in heaven are not to be cohabitating. They're not given in marriage as human beings are. That's told over in the Gospels. But this is not what these ones did. Some of those that fell to Satan proceeded to do this. Turn to Jude. Jude tells you exactly this. Now in Jude, we read, Jude has a similar uh, flavor as 2 Peter. Peter says they're coming. Is it Jude that says they're here? Or vice versa? Anyways, we come here and we're in Jude, and let's read from verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this verdict, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lewdness and denying the only dictator God, even our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, Afterward, destroyed them that believed not. And the angels who kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, their own way of habitating. Which is that, what is their way of habitating? As As spirit beings, not taking marriage. They're not given in marriage. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. Now there's a little pronoun that's not translated in your English here, but it's in the Greek. In like manner to these. To these. The to these goes back to the spirit beings. What did those at Sodom and Gomorrah do? They went after strange flesh. We all know what a sodomite is. Men going after men. Women going after men. That's strange flesh for human beings. A man and a woman are to come together. Not a man and a man. Not a woman and a woman. It is 
You're a man is to go with a woman. A woman is to go with a man. The spirit beings went after strange flesh. According to the book of Genesis, all flesh was corrupt. That includes animals, human beings, all. That's what it says. And that's what this is talking about. The spirit beings went after strange flesh. It was similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're set forth for an example, undergoing the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. And it goes on. So again, this is a reference to these spirit beings. There a certain cohort of them were punished and locked in Tartarus, it says. Did we read that passage here where it says Tartarus? I think that was over in Peter. Yeah, you read it. You read it in one of those places. Um, now, I'm going to make one more statement here. I'm going to put some things together for you. Some people like to interpret this like spirits, demons, and spirit beings. They just got to have humans. Humans are so amazing. They want to have sexual immorality. Right? And they, they, they make it like spirit beings just got to have human beings. Okay? I don't think it's that at all. I don't think it's that at all. I think it has to do with Satan interfering in God's plan. It's the drama of redemption. It's this theatrical that's taking place that God is doing. Okay. What was the one promise given in the garden? Anybody remember? The seed of the woman. The seed of the woman would the the, the serpent would injure the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. A death-dealing blow versus a injury. Okay. So what does Satan know from that revelation? You better take care of that seed of the woman because I'm not beat. I'm going to over... I am going to come up. I'm going to move my throne to the throne of God. I'm going to be like God. That's what he said. Remember his, the five I wills? Mm -hmm. I will proceed to do this. He wants to be like God. He wants, But he doesn't want to answer to God. And so he is going to do everything he can to stop God's plan. What's the one information he has that's going to crush him? The seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. What happens in Genesis 6? He tries to corrupt the seed. What did he already do with Cain and Abel? The very first seed of the woman. He pits Cain against Abel and he takes out Abel. Takes him out. Okay? And then he usurps the authority that God gave Adam over the earth and Satan becomes what? The prince of the power of the air. Turn to Ephesians 2. 
Mm. It was almost successful too, and you think about it, there's only eight people left. No, he wasn't almost successful. Uh -huh. like he it. was playing right into God's, God's plan. plan. Uh -huh. yeah. Ephesians Amen. 2. And you who he hath made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past ye walked according to the age of this world, according to the what? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that even now works in the sons of disobedience. This is something that continues to go on today. Satan is working in this world opposing God. <gasps> And they don't have little placards on their forehead or little hats that say Team Satan. In fact, they probably say Team Jesus. But what's the difference? You listen to what they say and they preach a method of salvation that's by your own works. It's not by the Jesus that we know who is God that died for this, our sins and was buried and rose again the third day. It's by a Jesus that was a good example. He was a great teacher and we should live sacrificial lives like he did. Right. See how enticing that sounds? It doesn't, is anything bad about it? Does that sound that bad? It's not that bad. No, it's poison. It's poison. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 2. First Corinthians 2, we read in verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the princes of this age that come to nothing. about wisdom today mm -hmm. where is all wisdom for the Christian in Christ keep your keep your finger here just turn one page to 1st Corinthians 1 in verse 26 where you see your calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yes, and things which are nothing to bring to nothing things that are. I've never been more proud to be a big zero. <laughs> right? All that I am, I am because God made me who I am. Everything that I count worthy in this life, God gave me. That no flesh should boast in his presence. Verse 30. But out from him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Where is this? But out from him. Out from who? Out from him. Are you in Christ Jesus? We're in Christ Jesus. See that? And who out from God is made unto us wisdom. This is all the wisdom 
is hid in Christ. Correct application of, with, of knowledge is in Christ for the Christian. Do you see how this dovetails with what we see in Colossians? Okay. And what is that wisdom? Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Sanct uh, righteousness, correct action. We have a positional righteousness, but how do we act right down here? By living in him. We're sanctified in him. We're, we're set apart unto God in him. We're set apart unto our Christian identity in him. And that's, how do we live sanctified down here? By living in him. We're completely set free from the sin nature in him. But how do we live that down here? By living in him. See? The application of knowledge. True wisdom. That according as it is written, he that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Now jump back to 2.7. But we speak a wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God marked out ahead of time before the ages unto our glory, which none of the princes, princes, none of the princes. Where did we see prince today? We've seen it a couple times now. Well, here in my Bible it says ruler, so that would be back to spirit beings. Spirit beings. What was Satan called in Ephesians 2? The prince, the prince of the power, right? This is pointing to the fact that behind those human rulers that put Christ between, what was it, Pilate? And was there Herod? Who else was involved there? Who were the human rulers? Herod, Pontius Pilate. Herod, Pontius Pilate. There was something behind those men that were pulling the strings. Spirit beings. If they had known it, so you're, maybe you're looking at me going, Josh, come on. You're a little fart. Really? You're going to make that connection? Keep your finger here. Turn to Revelation 12. I'm going to tell you something that we, nobody knew until Revelation 12. Revelation 12. Look at your, what happened when Jesus was, you know, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would be born in the area of Bethlehem, right? Mm -hmm. And... Um, that he would be a king. And he even kind of spelled out the, the, the rough time frame of when that would happen. So you would think that if you were, if you knew those prophecies, that you would then be waiting there to take out your opposition, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Do you think Satan knew those prophecies? Mm -hmm. Do you think... He was waiting there to take out Jesus, little baby Jesus in a manger. So cute. <laughs> that was king. He was. And scripture tells you about it. So in Revelation 12, we read, And there appeared a great sign in heaven. If you want to title this chapter, it would be the history of Satan's work. Chapter 12 through 14. And there appeared a great sign in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and a moon under her feet, and upon her head 
a victor's crown of twelve stars, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Now, is that really mystifying who this guy is? <laughs> well, if you're wondering, it tells you over in verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. This also tells you who was behind the serpent back in the garden. This is your passage that identifies it to be Satan. Come back. Verse 3. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Okay. There's some things that are in the past here and some things are in the future. But it tells you here. How was Satan waiting to devour the child? It was through Herod. 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 Remember? They went around and they killed all the children, what was it, two years and under? In that whole area. But what did God do? He sent Mary and Joseph. God came to, was it Joseph in a dream? He said, get down to Egypt to fulfill prophecies. He said he would come out, right? Fulfilled prophecy. Again, Satan is foiled. Because <laughs> <laughs> God didn't plan the whole yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. You'd think, to me, it's just like, uh, you know, I liken it to uh, Coyote and the Roadrunner. Anybody ever watch cartoons? <laughs> Anybody watch those cartoons? Who loves them? We all love to see the coyote get squashed. We love it. We love it. But he gets back up. He gets back up. He thinks he's going to win. He's running after the Roadrunner. He's, he's got all these great designs and plans. He's writing to the Acme Corporations, getting the plans, drawing the blueprint. He's going to beat the Roadrunner. But what happens? He always He always loses. This is part of the drama of redemption. God always wins. He is all knowing, he's all powerful, and he never fails. Christ is the epitome of that because he being God became a man died for our sins he rose on high and he is still in charge he's over all spirit beings he has no lack and we have no lack in him no lack no lack and wouldn't it be great if we felt that way wouldn't that be great if you felt that way? I'm telling you, if you get your mind on who you are in Christ, you'll start feeling that way on Him. And what that will do is that it will allow you to actually endure all kinds of lack down here. Let's close on a word of prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your wonderful salvation to us. We ask, Father, that to whatever extent we understand your grace today, we ask that we would understand it more. For we know that it is through your grace that we live differently. It's through your grace. It's through your grace that we're taught to live differently. And we want to live differently, not through our own strength, but through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. I always... <laughs>